Welcome back to the 105th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including talking about how the U.S. is helping in Ukraine and if it's really a stable endeavor. We had some leaks come out and shed a little bit of light, so we'll be talking about those, and we'll be talking about the coming credit crunch and how you can prepare, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. And of course, we'll end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump into our daily debate. So what should the U.S. approach be moving forward when it comes to Ukraine and Russia? With recent leaks, the effectiveness of our aid has really come to the forefront. A lot of people have been asking important questions about this. And it's really become a hot-button issue recently. So what should we do? Should we keep funding them? Should we put certain restrictions on the funding? Should we maybe pull back and say, hey, we need to restock our strategical reserves and then also prepare for a Taiwan invasion, maybe? There are lots of different options here, and you obviously have a very diverse set of opinions. Throw them down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what people have to say. So, our first article comes from Insider. The U.S. spent $877 billion on military in 2022, a new report says. That is more than 10 times federal ed spending. So, now you got the headline. You can see what they're focusing on. One, lots of spending on the military. But two, they're drawing this this connection, saying, hey, It's 10 times more than federal spending on education. So you can see the angle that the author's coming from almost immediately. And while this may not be something that people necessarily care about, well, you know, they're not comparable things. The federal education system doesn't necessarily need to be restocked and re-upped every single year with new military deals. We don't have giant school contractors like we have giant military contractors. It still is meant to highlight the vast disparity in the amount of spending. And it really does show what the American priorities are. Not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. As a world power, you probably should have a strong military. But also, you might want to have an educated population. So let's jump into this first quote that really talks about how the military spending, though they're not loving the fact in this article that it's going more towards military rather than education, but this trend of spending a lot on the military is not just a U.S. thing. It is also a worldwide trend. Quote, the world's governments are spending more money than ever on their militaries, a new report finds, and that's no one's surprise. The United States leads them all. The United, spend, the United States spends a total of $877 million on its military in 2022, according to a new report from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, or SIPRI. And that is just, I'm sorry if I sound a little clunky when I'm reading that. That is a lot of letters back to back. There's a few eyes in there, and, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest man in the world, so I'm going to have a hard time when that comes up in some of the other quotes that are mentioned from this article. So, let's keep going. The SIPRI 
which maintains a database on military spending around the world. That's almost 40% of the global military spending and possibly as much as three times more than the second biggest spender, China. Though it's hard to know for sure how much China is spending. European countries saw the largest increase in spending, driven by, in large part, by Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February last year. The report found, in real terms, European military spending had returned to levels not since seen in the Cold War, end quote. So, what they're highlighting here, and what they're trying to get at, which they do mention a little bit at the end here, is with this ever so rising amount of money being spent on military, you're starting to see a lot of people who are feeling that the world is becoming less stable. If people, countries all around the world are starting to spend more on their military from a realist point of view, from a worldview that is, okay, if you have the power to deter other people, you're going to use it. If you don't have the power to deter other people in military terms, then you're going to build it up. So if people feel that they're threatened or that they need to make sure that their position is safe on the world stage, they're going to build up their military power, which indicates that things are becoming a little bit more unstable. They're becoming a little bit less certain. With the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, it kind of kind of upset the world order a little bit. We've seen a lot of intra-country conflicts rather than inter-country conflicts. So over the last 20, 30 years, we've seen a lot of infighting, civil wars, instability within countries. And we haven't necessarily seen major wars break out between countries. And now with Russia invading Ukraine, this is a huge breaking of the status quo. And people are starting to realize, okay, maybe we haven't really gotten past this interstate war thing. Maybe we really haven't come into an era of peace Maybe it's just the cyclical nature. We had a little bit of downtime. We got a little bit too fat and happy. And now we're going to have to spend more money on our militaries to dissuade people like Russia and other actors that they may see as not the friendliest, to put it lightly, from invading or disturbing their country, the natural resources. So this is a scary trend in the eyes of the SIPRI. And... Not to mention, it's kind of actually bolstered, or what they're implying here is it's bolstered by a lot of spending from the U.S. Because in the realist worldview, if you build up your arms, so let's say you're the United States, we build up our military, we have 20 active battleships in the southeastern Asia area. Now, if you're China... They're like, oh, well, the U.S. has got 20 ships here. And in order to make sure that we don't get dominated, well, like, we're going to have to make 20 ships. And then in response, the U.S. says, oh, well, they're, they're going to have 20 ships now. Well, we're going to make it 25. And you see how this escalation goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And this is the fear of people who don't like the realist worldview, who believe that power, and military power especially, is the way of deterring people from coming at you and giving you a little bit of a, a negative interaction. And it leads to escalation. 
So what they're noting here is that, okay, the U.S. is spending a lot of money, and they have for a long time, on military. And now they're not only bolstering their own military, but they're actually supplementing other people's militaries through NATO or just directly giving to Ukraine, which means Ukraine now has better armaments and things of that nature. So Russia, they have to deploy more troops. They have to deploy their military industry at home to build more capable weapons or just a larger volume of weapons, and it leads to escalation. And then you see where this leads. It just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. It's like the USSR and the U.S. just keeping creating more nuclear weapons. And, of course, through time, negotiation, treaties, there was a reduction of nuclear weapons. And maybe the same thing could happen here. And I think that's what the article is really getting at. It's saying we're spending a huge amount of money on our military for very limited returns, or at least from this author's point of view. And then we're not actually spending money on educating people. And educating people may actually make them more able to understand the risks of what we're doing and vie for peace on the world stage. These are our future leaders that they're trying to educate in these schools, obviously. So if you're taking money away from them, you're actually taking money away from the future of America. At least how that's how I think the article's coming at this from. Because otherwise, I don't necessarily see the value in the comparison that they're making. Because if they're not actually, because they don't actually make any claims here. They're not saying, oh, well, if we focus more on education, this will happen or that will happen. They're just drawing the connection. They're just saying, yes, we spend 10 times more on military than ed. And that's just a bad thing. Which, you know, sure, if you have that opinion, it's a bad thing. But why is it a bad thing? Don't just tell me it's a bad thing. Explain it. Because there may be a rational justification for why you need to spend money on a military effort. If you're at war and your country is under threat, I would expect you to pay more money to the military to protect your country. Because without that, you can't facilitate the education. So the education spending wouldn't matter anyway. You understand where I'm coming from? So they're just giving it as a fact rather than telling you why it's bad. And I'm trying to read in between the lines and understand where they're coming from and understand their argument and give them the benefit of the doubt. So that, you know, that was me going on a little bit longer of a rant than I would like to. But this is the exact quote talking about the global insecurity that is coming about from this situation. Quote, the continuous rise in military, global military expenditure in recent years is a sign that we are living in an increasingly insecure world. Nantine, a senior researcher at SIPRI, wrote in the report, quote, states are bolstering military strength in response to a deteriorating security environment, which they do not foresee improving in the near future, end quote. Yeah, and this is, this is exactly what I was getting at. If you don't see a positive future, if you don't see peace lasting for a long time, you'll prepare for war just because you want to preserve your nation. You want to make sure that your citizens are safe and unharmed. So this is the reality we're starting to live with. And it's, it's very interesting when you look back. Obviously, at this point, 100 years ago, there was already a First World War that had broken out. 
But we're getting pretty close to the time when a the Second World War broke out. In every hundred years, you kind of see a cycle throughout human history. It has changed a little bit. We've seen the rise and fall of many hegemons over the last 300 years. But at the beginning of a century, there seems to be a, a shakeup normally. There's a, there's a challenge from a power who wants to be dominant on the global stage and wants to reassert themselves or wants to assert themselves in the first place. So I think it's interesting that we have this cyclical history that could be examined and maybe you could draw some connections. Or maybe, you know, at the end of the day, we're just humans. We like conflict. We like power. And we're fallen creatures. And we need to strive always to be better than that. And you know, maybe if we educate our kids, look at this connection here, guys. Maybe if we educate our kids in philosophy, history, and different values and virtues and allow the freedom of debate, they can go out and lead the world into a utopian master place. Maybe. No, probably not. But there is a value to education, and maybe we should consider spending a little bit more here in the United States. Now, should we probably retailer how we actually get the money to certain areas? Most definitely. Could we be more effective in our education spending? Most definitely. But there should at least be a conversation there because we want an informed populace. We want people who are going to vote in the best interest of themselves and also America and be productive members of society. You've heard all of these political talking points before. I'm not saying anything new at this point, so let's jump to our second article. This one comes from the National Review. Straight talk about the how the U.S. is helping Ukraine. So this article, you know, it starts with a very interesting analogy. So in my in my notes, because I, I take notes and I kind of label the quotes so I know where I'm going and if I need if I want to use them in any case whatsoever. And the label I gave this one is appetizer because the quote starts with, quote, on the menu today, it's time for some serious talk about U.S. military aid to Ukraine because there are certain kinds of American manufacturing weapons and munitions that the U.S. can provide to Ukraine indefinitely, but at least four kinds the U.S. is running dangerously low on. And there are fair and serious questions about whether the U.S. is sufficiently armed to help Taiwan if China invades the island nation. It's an independent nation. Don't let anybody fool you thinking otherwise. And that's in brackets there. It's in parentheses. And he's saying, no, no, don't listen to the Chinese propaganda. It's its own independent nation. China says otherwise. It doesn't matter. Quote, but this... Discussion is muddled by misleading claims, ones that come from people like Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance yesterday, that, quote, maybe apparently America already has troops on the ground in Ukraine, and that Ukraine has maybe the most corrupt leadership anywhere in the world, end quote. And before we go on, because I didn't actually pull the direct quote that talks about the corruption levels in countries. Actually, Russia rates a little bit higher. Uh, some African countries, South American countries range a little bit higher. And then at the top of the list, you have places like Denmark, New Zealand, 
And then I believe America was probably somewhere around like 75%, whereas New Zealand and Denmark were around 88%, not corrupt. So, you know, we don't necessarily have the best leg to stand on. Now, is Ukraine the best? No. Are they the most corrupt? Ever so slightly? No. So that notion does kind of fall apart when this author brings that statistic up. And if you want to see that specifically, since I didn't grab that quote, you can go down to the description. There's a link that takes you to all these different articles. So you can go read them for yourself and see some of these statistics. But let's engage in J.D. Vance's argument for a second. Let's say, okay, one, we may already have American troops on the ground in Ukraine. And two, maybe they are some of the most corrupt leaders in the world. So, one, we may already have groups, troops on the ground in Ukraine. Now, uh, if that's the case, I'm not saying no, we don't. I'm saying if that's the case, get them the heck out of there. We do not want boots on the ground. We do not want them to possibly get injured by anything Russia can throw at them. So then that causes an international incident. And to be honest, the author very clearly breaks down why we have boots on the ground there. And it's not actually special military. It's, well, I take that back. It is special military, but it's not for what you think. It's for providing security services to the embassy and things of this nature. So I would prefer that our diplomats are safe and they're on the embassy territory. They're not in the battlefield. They're not out there fighting, firing SAM missiles at the Russians. So that's a little bit different. But if we were entertaining J.D. Vance's argument that we had boots on the ground that are not there to protect embassy people or critical infrastructure people, then get them the heck out. We cannot risk their lives. One, two, we do not want to start an international incident. Now, the next claim that they're the most corrupt leadership anywhere in the world, and he's referring to this because we're sending them a whole bunch of munitions and they could, in theory, be taken and then sold on the black market to make money for certain big donors or big personalities in the Ukrainian government or maybe private enterprise people. And then, you know, we need to take that and break that apart. So what mechanisms do we have in place? We actually have officers who are there and meant to enforce and audit where these pieces of equipment go so that they don't end up on the black market. And these are like logistics officers to make sure that the shipment, when it comes off the plane, goes to where it needs to go. From there, we can't necessarily tell 100%, but for the most part, we've at least put enough strings on our aid that we can say with most confidence that it is going to where it should be going. So let's come back, and then we're going to talk about the other issue that the author brings up initially. That's not necessarily coming directly from J.D. Vance, but came out through the leaks that we may not actually have enough munitions and other things stockpiled in order to, one, keep helping Ukraine, but two, help Taiwan if anything was to happen. Quote, there are fair arguments for caution and wariness about expanding the U.S. commitment to helping Ukraine. At the beginning of the year, the current the Center for Strategic and International Studies published a report 
about which munitions the U.S. is running low on and how long it could take to restock the supplies of those munitions to normal pre-invasion levels. According to the CSIS estimates, and it's cautious that these figures are only estimates based upon the best information currently available, at the surge or prioritized production rate, it would take two and a half years to restock the high-mobility artillery rocket system, or HIMARS, mobile artillery system and vehicles, four years to restock at least one category of 155-millimeter shells, five and a half years to restock the Javelin anti-tank missile stockpile, and six and a half years to restock the Stinger air defense missile stockpiles. So those are the four that we're going to have a really hard time fully restocking that we don't necessarily have enough of at this moment, or at least that's what the CSIS is estimating. So besides that, if you see comments coming out about, oh, we're not going to have enough shells or we're not going to have enough of this weapon system, the CSIS is not saying that, wow, okay, these, these other things, the Javelin missile system, rather than just the missiles themselves, oh, we, we don't have enough of those. No, they're not saying that. They're saying, okay, the anti-tank missile stockpile, the very specially capable missiles that are shot from the Javelin are extremely low, not the systems themselves and these sort of things. So don't let this confuse you if you see things come out in the future that talk about, hey, whoa, whoa, we're running extremely low on almost all of our key infrastructure. No, it's very specific things that we're running low on. And this, of course, does beg the question, is that a problem? Because at the end of the day, could we just ramp up production? Could we just build more facilities if the demand is there? And we know that Taiwan's going to want them, Ukraine's going to want them. We know that there's demand for it. Why wouldn't we just up production? And if we're not in a major war ourselves, but rather just giving these things to our allies, then why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Because at the end of the day, they're going to have to pay us back for it. Or in theory, they're going to have to pay us back for it. And that's the, you know, the capitalist talking inside me. But then there's also the other side battling saying, now, should we really be upping production and making it easier to buy these from us and really encouraging these comp- countries to use these sort of weapons against people that are coming after them? Or should we maybe limit the amount we give them or tell them the real situation, which is we're running low on stockpiles? Maybe you should come to the negotiating table with Russia And then again, you know, I'm a little bit biased. I would be okay with Ukraine going to the bargaining table with Russia. But if China was to invade Taiwan, I would I would not let any negotiation or I would sorry, I would not let I would not want any negotiation to go on between Taiwan and China. I'm very biased on this because the strategical position that China gains by having control of Taiwan is almost complete and utter dominance of the South China Sea which is a area where a lot of trade goes through, and it is very pivotal to their plan to project power through the rest of Asia, and then, if you have their state propaganda right, the rest of the world. So I understand that there are very nuanced conversations, and some people may be say, hey, no, let Ukraine and uh, Russia, they need to go at it, there shouldn't be any negotiation, and they might have an inverse view when it comes to Taiwan. All this author is trying to highlight is, okay, one, 
we're not running low on everything. It's very particular things. And we should be more cautious when talking about it. And then we should also be more cautious when talking with our allies about what we're missing. And the fact that just because we have military personnel who are there to protect diplomats doesn't mean they're out there in the field, which, you know, it could be a ploy. To be honest, I, I don't know this author's background, and maybe they're of a very military-based persuasion, and they're just coming up with a justification to have boots on the ground there. That, that is also a possibility. But from their point of view... It is purely to protect the diplomats. And also their point of view on Ukraine being one of the most corrupt countries. It's not the most corrupt country. It's Don't get me wrong. It's close. But the U.S. is fully aware of that when they're giving their aid and they're putting strings on it so that it doesn't get misplaced or misused. So this author is really trying to push back and say there is obviously good arguments for not supporting Ukraine. But we can't just all out attack it from, oh, we can't do this or we shouldn't do this or we have to do this. We can do this. It needs to be a more deep understanding of what's going on, the realities on the ground and making sure that we take a balanced approach. Now, sometimes a balanced approach isn't the way to do it. Sometimes there is no middle ground. Sometimes there is this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. This is not one of those situations. This is a very complex geopolitical issue that includes Russia, China, NATO, the U.S., Ukraine. So it's very complex. And the author just wants people to acknowledge that and understand the complexity, or at least he wants to give a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain. So you can see all the inner workings and say, okay, wow, I didn't actually realize how complicated this one was. All right. Let's jump to our last article about the credit crunch. It'll be a very quick one, and you've probably heard a lot of these recommendations before, but I want to explain why this credit crunch is coming and what you can do to maybe save a little bit of money going into it. Let's be clear, this is not financial advice from USA Today. They're just suggestions, and you take on all the risk yourself if you choose to do them. Quote, USA Today, a credit crunch is coming as banks slow lending and brace for impact. Here's how you can prepare. So, here's the the landscape of the situation. Quote, the credit crunch is coming if it hasn't already. Some consumers may already be feeling the squeeze of their higher interest rates or difficulty getting a loan, and others may soon. The Federal Reserve warned of this last month over the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said upheaval resulting from the bank sector would likely result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses, which would in turn affect economic outcomes. Despite that, they are still have time to take steps to manage their debt and finances to mitigate the fallout, experts say. The average interest rate on credit cards has climbed to 20.92%, the highest since the Federal Reserve started tracking this information in 1994. New credit cards offer even higher rates, averaging 22.515% in the first three months of the year, up from 18.32% at the end of 2022, according to a survey by personal finance site Wallet Hub. So what you're seeing is obviously an increase in interest rates. We knew this was coming. The Fed has been raising the rate on their end, So, of course, you're going to see it ripple throughout the entire economy. And this means 
If you have debt on a credit card, you are paying more money every single month in order to have the credit card keep that debt, essentially. And if you're just starting to build credit now, this is a warning sign. If you are a young college student who's just now getting a credit card and you're leaving a little bit on there rather than paying it all off, you're paying nearly one-fifth in interest, or at least it's being added to your debt. And you can see how this is extremely, extremely dangerous. Because at the end of the day, some people, they just want to put money on their debit card or their credit card and not necessarily pay it off in the month. They'll pay the minimum balance, which is all good. Hey, you're paying the minimum balance. I have respect for you. You're not just using the credit card and leaving it there, but you're incurring interest at a faster rate because interest rates are going up. Quote, in the final three months of 2022, credit card balances increased by $61 billion to reach $986 billion. So let's just stop there. That's close to a trillion dollars in credit card debt. And that's up $61 billion. This is saying a lot of people, they're feeling the financial crunch. They're feeling the higher prices and they're having to use credit cards because they don't necessarily have the money at the time to pay things off. But also during that process, they are incurring more interest if they leave that balance on that credit card. So they're getting a double whopper. They're getting hit by inflation at the store. So they have to use a credit card. And then since they can't pay all that credit card debt off, they're getting hit by interest rates that are rising due to inflation. They're getting hit twice. So you're hearing this you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm getting hit twice. What's going on? How can I fix this? How can I resolve this? There are two tips that, there are actually five tips that they give, but there are two that I really, really want to highlight because one of them I didn't actually know you could do. And the second one is something that my mom always focused on. And let's be clear, I am not the best at it. I am not coming down from the the tower and giving you all the information on how it should be done. It's just something that I've found extremely useful. So, quote, one, transfer your balance. My top tip is to sign up for a 0% balance transfer card, Rosman said. By transferring your balance to one of these cards, you can push the interest clock back for up to 21 months. So, these cards are specialty cards. You transfer all of the debt that you can onto this card, and you're not actually going to pay interest on it for 21 months. So you can actually push that back a little bit. Maybe there will be better interest rates there in the future. Maybe if it's just on a 0% card, you can actually pay it off more quickly because you're not incurring more interest. There are lots of options here, and I didn't even know that this was a thing, to be honest, when I first read this article. So that's something you can do a little bit of research on and find one that works for you. And the second one that I really like is improve your credit score. I know if, if you are someone who's starting to worry about finances, you probably heard this before. Quote, if you think you may need to take a loan at some point, make sure that you pay your bills on time each month. Take a break from taking on more credit to lower your debt amounts and increase any errors that may be on your credit report. Quote, building up a good credit score can help you keep your interest rates lower, said Dan Ch- Cassie federal planner at Bridge River Advisors, end quote. And of course, you know, if you know anything about the new Biden plan, which is to actually have people with better credit scores pay a little bit more when they're getting certain loans in order to subsidize people that are have a little bit less of a 
a credit score, or they have a worse credit score, then you may be a little bit hesitant on this one. To be honest, I don't know all the details of the Biden plan, so I feel like when I hear that, it's just the right being very over the top. But, you know, we'll see if that pans out. But either way, having a lower credit score, in order to get it lower, you actually have to focus on the fundamentals, and that's why I think it's more important than just, oh, you may be able to get a loan in the future. It forces you to, one, stop putting so much money on your cards. Two, ensuring that you can pay it off every month. Three, making sure you're paying it on time. Four, making sure that you're not opening too many credit cards and having too many inquiries into your credit. So by looking at your credit score, it actually makes you focus in on all the elements that play in to what your credit score is going to be. And therefore, you actually have to pay attention. And that's extremely important. I check my credit score a lot. I probably shouldn't check my credit score a lot. But I check my credit score probably at least, at least twice a month, if not a little bit more than that. Just because I can see, okay, I'm spending a little bit too much here. I need to cut back here. I need to make sure that this one's completely paid off. Oh, I put a little bit too much on this one this month. I can pay that off fine but I'm going to have to put it on a different one next month in order to balance out the difference a little bit. It really makes you focus in and care about your credit. And also, it can become a little bit of a game with yourself. You can say, oh, I want it to go up two points this month. I want to try to get up three points this month. I want to get up four points this month. Oh, I went down by two? Well, let's get it back to where it was. You can kind of gamify it, and you can make the pursuit of better credit something that you are actively intrigued by and you actually want to participate in because you've turned it into a game with yourself. Yeah, that's my opinion on those ones. That's why I really like the improve your credit score tip from this article. All right. That was a little bit of doom and gloom, but it ended with some positivity or at least some things that you can do to improve your situation. Now let's jump to something that will hopefully improve your situation in the immediate, which is the daily delight. This one comes from the Animal Rescue site. So, you know, everyone now and again, they really need a hug. And when you see this donkey's reaction, you'll understand exactly why. Quote, a perfect example of happiness brought by a hug is a donkey from a Reddit post. At ZX2 underscore shared the video with the caption, here's a happy donkey. And it was so excited, the evident in his face that the donkey was happy and content in the embrace of his human friend, end quote. But a hug wasn't the only thing he got. Quote, aside from the embrace, he really loved the behind-the-ear scratches and the small kisses he got. Throughout the clip, the donkey's eyes were closed out of contentment, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos of this donkey, or you want to read any of today's articles, there will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button, where you can find today's articles, as well as down there you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Podvine, and also the Twitter handle, at your daily flip, where I post a link to the podcast on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so you can go directly to the video on YouTube. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe, don't die.